You're listening to a presentation brought to you by Mystery Play Internet Radio. This podcast is proud to be part of the Blueberry Network. That's blueberry with no ease dot com. Hello, this is Clyde J. Kale, and thank you for downloading the Mystery Play Internet Radio Podcast. And now, are you ready for Scary Old Time Radio? I know many things, for I walk by night. I know many strange tales, hidden in the hearts of men and women who have stepped into the shadows. Yes, I know the nameless terrors of which they dare not speak. Yes, friends, it's time for the Signal Oil Program, The Whistler, rated tops in popularity for a longer period of time than any other West Coast program in radio history. And Signal Gasoline is tops, too. Tops in quality. It takes extra quality, you know, to give you extra mileage. And Signal is the famous go-farther gasoline. So look for the Signal Circle sign in yellow and black that identifies independently operated Signal stations from Canada to Mexico. And now the Whistler's strange story. A mask for Kinsella. Jim Kinsella couldn't seem to fix the beginning in his mind. If there was a beginning, it was all too confused. Like impressions out of a dream. Patches of thought and action bouncing back at him. The excitement, the shouted warning. And then the explosion that rocked a small chemical laboratory and sent the world crashing down on him. They were dim at first, the voices. Very faint but growing stronger, growing stronger and coming closer all the time. I was walking in the arch. Is he coming around, Doctor? Yes, you'll be all right. I still do not understand how the laboratory blew up that way. Gradually, through it all, something was coming back, clearing in his mind. It had to do with his friend Ted, Ted Brewster. The laboratory deep in the Mexican wilderness where the two of them worked. Yes, Jim Kinsella remembered now how he'd gone back again into the lab after Ted, who shouldn't have been there at all that night. How he had risked the flames as Ted shouted hopelessly for help. This is Jim, Ted. Where are you? Easy, easy, my boy. Don't try to talk. Doctor, what's he trying to say? What happened? Oh, now, I... it's, it's all right. You're perfectly safe. Where am I? They brought you here to the hospital yesterday, after the accident out at your laboratory. Yesterday? Dr. Bowman, he's been doing everything for you. Dr. Bowman? That's right, my boy. Now try to get to sleep for a while. Quiet now. I I don't seem to remember exactly what happened. Of course. You had a bad shock. It'll be a while before you recover fully. Your memory will be hazy for some time. But these bandages, I, I can't see. Now, now, you had better get some sleep. Before too long, we'll remove these bandages. 
You would have thought of the job I've done. Yeah? Job? On your face. It was a bit cut up, but don't worry. I'm taking care of it. Just get some rest now. Yeah. Yeah, get some rest. You can't sleep, can you, Jim? Thinking about Ted. Without asking, you know that Ted Brewster is dead. You remember now, finding him in the wreckage of the laboratory. It's all you can think about in the days that follow. That's and how fortunate you are to be alive. Then the day finally comes when Dr. Bauman decides it's time to remove your bandages. All right, now. We shall see, eh? We will cut the bandages, miss. Yes, Doctor. Here, help me unwind this. That's it. Gently. Gently. It's like coming up for air, Doctor. A new life. I'm certain you will be pleased with what we've done. Well, I'm alive. That's enough for me. Good. That's the way to feel about it. Oh, nurse, uh, just cut this adhesive here. Yes, sir. That's it. That's it. And look. Oh. <laughs> Don't I get a look, too? Uh, get me that mirror, nurse. Here you are. Thank you. Ah, oh, that'll be all for now. You may go, nurse. Yes, sir. Well, doctor. Oh, there are some scars, but I'm sure we can take care of them later. Oh, just so I got a face, doctor. Uh, you have, and a very good one, my boy. Here. Mirror. See for yourself. Oh, thanks, I... No, no. Don't worry about those scars. You about them, but they'll clear that. Oh, no. No, it isn't. Uh, what is it? What's the matter, Mr. Brewster? Mr. Brewster. He's calling you Mr. Brewster, isn't he, Jim? Yes. Because that's who he thinks you are. The realization races through your mind. He's made a mistake, Jim, a terrible mistake. And you're certain you know how it happened. In accomplishing his plastic surgery on your face, he must have worked from photographs of your friend, Ted Brewster, who was killed in the explosion. And the doctor's result is a well-fashioned replica of Ted's face. Mr. Brewster, have you forgotten what you look like? No. No, Dr. Baumer. Then what is wrong? He's asking you what's wrong, Jim. The man who's given you a new identity, a new face. And suddenly... Something makes you decide that it isn't wrong after all. It might be the kind of thing you've been waiting for all your life. Yes, suddenly the thought hits you. With his explanation that there might be blank spots in your memory, your mind might fog out on occasion. It could make it simple, couldn't it? Simple to pass yourself off as the wealthy Ted Brewster. Mr. Brewster, you haven't answered me. You certainly remember what you looked like, don't you? Is your mind blanking out? No, no, Doctor. I'm all right. You're satisfied then, Mr. Brewster? Yes. I think you've done a perfect job for me. Perfect. With the prologue of A Mask, for Kinsella, the Signal Oil Company brings you another strange story by The Whistler. It was just two weeks ago tonight that we first announced Signal's new super motor fuel, new Signal Ethel. But during these past two weeks, thousands of drivers throughout the West have discovered new driving pleasure that they hadn't dreamed was in their cars. For new Signal Ethel is so superior, so vastly improved, you can actually feel the difference. Yes, drivers are discovering that when it comes to pickup, new signal ethyl puts new meaning into the word go. They're discovering that out on the highway, new signal ethyl puts a smoother, more effortless kind of power under your throttle. And when they soar up steep hills with the new signal ethyl, they've discovered that pings are a thing of the past. Does that sound like the kind of performance you'd enjoy from your car? Then here's a suggestion. Wait until your present gasoline runs fairly low. Then fill up with new Signal Ethel. See if you don't feel a wonderful difference with Signal's new super motor fuel. New Signal Ethel. 
perfect, isn't it, Jim? This thing that's happened to you. The mistake Dr. Bauman has made. He's created a mask for you. A mask for Kinsella. And you're sure you know just how it happened. In repairing the damage to your face, Dr. Bauman, working from photographs of Ted, fashioned an almost perfect replica of Ted Brewster. And in a moment of terrible decision, you decided to leave it that way. Ted was killed in the explosion. But he had money back in the States. And a wealthy aunt in San Diego who hasn't seen him for years. It's a gamble, isn't it, Jim? Posing as Ted Brewster. But knowing what you do of his past, what he's told you, you're certain there's a good chance you'll get by with it. The slow motor trip to the airport gives you time to think it through. Consider everything, including Mrs. Kinsella, your own wife in Mexico City. But your mind is made up. Somehow it was from the very first. And at the airport, you bid Dr. Bauman goodbye. Well, Dr. Bauman, it's the end of the line. I I can't thank you enough. End of the line? Well, don't say that, my boy. All this may be the beginning for you. Uh, yes, it may be at that, Doctor. Flight 24 for the West, El Paso, Amarillo, San Diego, Los Angeles, San Francisco. Passengers will board the plane at gate number three, please. Yeah, that's me. Points west. Goodbye, Doctor. Goodbye, Mr. Brewster. Ted? Something in his tone, Jim. The way he said the name makes you wonder, doesn't it? Wonder if Dr. Bauman realizes he's made a mistake. That you're not Ted Brewster after all. You dismiss the thought long before the flight ends. Because if he knew anything was wrong, he would surely have said something, at least for you. Yes, Jim, any fears or doubts you might have had are wiped away by the joyous greeting you receive at San Diego Airport from Ted Brewster's aging aunt. Oh, Ted. Ted, my boy, so many years and now to see you. You're not uh, disappointed, Aunt Louise? No, no, of course not. My, my face, it isn't too pretty. Aunt. Oh, stop that talk right now, do you hear? It's you and you're alive and back. That's all that matters to us. Us? Oh, you've forgotten. Uh, Aunt Louise, the, the doctor, he said that I'd have trouble for a while, my, my memory. He said there'd be occasional lapses, blank spots. I understand. But I still have a surprise for you, even if you don't remember Judy Adams. Judy... Oh, yes. I always thought a lot of her. Uh, Judy! Judy! Over here, dear. Ted. Dear, Ted's just explained something you should know about. He's going to have the... Uh, what is it, Ted? Blank spots? Uh, yeah, temporary amnesia, kind of. Hello, Judy. Ted. Oh, Ted. Do I look all right to you? You look wonderful. Blank spots and all? Oh, Ted, it's so good to have you back. Come on now, children. We're going home, the three of us, together. The worst is over, isn't it, Ted? You've been accepted. It's a lucky thing you said you remember Judy. And her attitude makes your position stronger than ever. Only you have to be careful. Always on guard. Like the afternoon when you're walking with her in the garden at Aunt Louise's home. Oh, it's pleasant here, isn't it, Judy? Yeah. I've always wanted a place like this. I mean, uh, I've always enjoyed this garden. Ted. Yes? You don't really remember this garden, do you? No, I... I guess not. Well, before you went away, we went walking here. Well, that's close to ten years ago, isn't it? Yeah, I, I guess it is, Judy. Gosh, Judy, this this must be kind of rough on you. I mean, the way my mind does these flip-flops, remembering one day, forgetting the next. Oh, it's all right. Only... What? Nothing, Dad. Nothing at all. Her attitude worries you, doesn't it? You wonder if something you've done or said has made her suspicious. But a few evenings later, it seems to be all right. Well, Ted, 
How does it feel to be back in the nightclub again? Oh, okay. <laughs> Feels fine. I'd forgotten what it was like. You, uh, you don't remember this place, do you? Uh, vaguely. Uh, I'm afraid I've forgotten a lot of things, Judy. My, my mind's still pretty much of a blank. I know. The accident must have been a terrible shock. Yeah, you, you just have to bear with me, I'm afraid. Of course. I understand. Ted. Yeah? I thought you were taking me to Tony's for dinner. Well, sure, I <laughs> Well, you just drove right past it. Oh. I, I'm sorry, Julie. I just wasn't thinking. I'm in that fog again. It's all right, Ted. I know. It's been a convenient excuse, hasn't it, Jim? Those moments, all too many of them, when your mind becomes clouded. It helps you cover up when you make a mistake. And you're certain now that Judy isn't suspicious at all. Everything is going well, and you become more and more confident as days pass. Then, one afternoon, as you return to the house... Oh, Ted, uh, there was someone here to see you a little while ago. To, to see me, Aunt Louise? Who was it? Didn't leave his name. Emily told him you'd be back before evening. What did he want? Didn't mention. Emily said he was tall, heavy-set man. Said he looked like a Seamus. What? Seamus. That's what Emily called him. A detective. Goodness, I don't know where Emily picks up these strange phrases. What's the matter, Ted? Nothing, at least. Nothing. <laughs> The news is more than a little disturbing, isn't it, Jim? And you wonder if Emily, Aunt Louise's housekeeper, was right, thinking the man who called at the house was a detective. That evening at dinner, he's still on your mind, isn't he? You're hardly listening to Ted's aunt as she chatters on gaily. And then something she says penetrates your thoughts. What did you say? I said, how long do you think you can go on trying to fool me? Don't understand. I knew from the moment you stepped off that plane. Did you? You knew? Of course. Anybody can see you're still in love with Judy, aren't you? Oh. Of course you are. I knew somehow you'd never forget her. But there's something on your mind, isn't there? I've noticed. Well, yes, there. Uh, there is something on my mind. You want to go back to Mexico, don't you? To build a new laboratory. But you don't think it'd be right to ask. Judy, to go with you. Yeah, I, I, something like that. Why don't you ask her, Ted? She's very much in love with you. Is she? Oh, my goodness, you men. Can't you see it? Does a building have to fall on you before Excuse you... Me, ma'am. Uh, yes, uh, what is it, Emily? There's a phone call for Mr. Brewster. Probably Judy. Uh, no, ma'am, it's a gentleman. Didn't give his name. I'm thinking it's the same one who was here this afternoon. Uh, excuse me. Oh, don't be long, dear. Hello? Mr. Brewster? Ted Brewster? Yes, who's this? An old friend, Ted. I would like to see you. Oh? I'm at the Carlton Apartments, 607 Crescent Place. Let us say around 10 o'clock, Ted. Now, look, what's this all about? Who the... 607 Crescent Place, Apartment 3. It's very important, especially to you. Hello? Hello? You stare at the telephone for a moment, then slowly replace the receiver, your hand trembling. There's something about the voice, a familiar ring to it, but you can't place it. As you walk back to the dining room, you search your mind for a clue that will reveal the owner of that voice. But it's no use. A couple of hours after dinner is over, you make excuses to Aunt Louise and hurry out of the house. A quarter of an hour later, you arrive at 607 Crescent Place. You're tense and nervous as you ring the bell at apartment three. Hello, Ted. Bowler. Dr. Bowler. Surprise, my boy? Come in, come in. Sit down. Make yourself comfortable. Thanks. I was about to fix myself a drink. Will you join me? Oh, I'll, I'll take a rain check. Anything you say.
What's on your mind, Doctor? You said it was important. So you want to have a drink, my boy? No, no, thanks. Well, here's the success. Yours and mine, Jim. Jim, I... Oh, now, come, come, Mr. Kinsella. Let us not play games. Uh, you're a little confused, Doctor. Uh, no, I don't think so. After all, this was my idea, Jim. Your idea? It wasn't a mistake, my giving you that taste. It was an inspiration, a challenge. I decided to gamble. You see, several years ago, I lost my license due to an unfortunate mistake. That's why I was in Mexico. Go on. I knew quite a bit about you, Jim. You and Ted Brewster and quite a few other people. It's a little hobby of mine, let us say. So? So I was certain that uh, you would see the opportunity I placed before you. The advantages of a new face, a new life, money. And now you want in. A ride on the gravy train. Exactly. I expect to be paid for my services. Suppose I refuse. Oh, you would not be so stupid, my boy. I, I could make things so very difficult for you. I could inform Mr. Brewster's aunt. And let me see, there is a girl, too. Judy. And uh, Mrs. Kinsella, your wife, in Mexico. I think she would like to know. I could tell them all this was your idea. And it was, Doc. This I could deny. I could be properly horrified by the ghastly mistake I had made. My reason for coming here to the States, you see. After making one mistake, I wanted to be certain. How much do you want? Half. Half of Brewster's money. Oh, not, not all at once, of course. I can be quite reasonable, my boy, and patient. Let us say the first payment shall be $5,000. Tomorrow night. Tomorrow night? Oh, wait a minute. I can't get it that quickly. I... Uh, you will try, my boy. You will try very hard. Listen, if, you, if you'll give me till the end of the week... That is out of the question. I have certain things to take care of. Expensive. I must have the money tomorrow night. So let us stay around uh, this same time. All right. All right, Doctor. You'll get As you leave Bauman's apartment, a plan begins to take shape in your mind. If you can stall him off for a few days, long enough for you to get a few thousand dollars, you can run away, can't you? Change your name. Bauman of the police will never find you. But you know, that would mean leaving Judy behind. And you don't want to do that. No, you really want to stay on here as Ted Brewster. You want to keep all the money for yourself. And you realize you're really in love with Judy. As you drive back to the house, you tell yourself there must be a way to prevent Bauman from ruining everything. You spend a sleepless night thinking about it. It stays with you the following day. And then that evening, as you sit in the car with Judy, looking out over the ocean. Oh, it's been a perfect evening, Judy. Did you really mean what you said about Mexico going back with me, I mean? You know I did, darling. Uh, what time is it? Why, it's a few minutes to nine. Why? Do you mind if we go back now? There's something I have to do. Tonight? Yes. Might as well get it over as soon as possible. Oh, all right, darling. Whatever you say. No, I'll have to take care of this little matter before we can start making any plans, Judy. Uh, it's something I've got to do. A half hour after you've left Judy... You're entering the apartment building on Crescent Street. You hurry upstairs to Dr. Bauman's apartment. Ring the buzzer. And as you wait, the hand in your coat pocket closes tightly around the gun. Well, my boy, right on time, I see. Hello, doctor. Come in. Uh, do you have something for me, Jim? Yeah. Yeah, I have something for you, Dr. Bauman. But I don't think you're going to like it. Not one bit. The Whistler will return in just a moment with a strange ending to tonight's story. You know, when Mother Nature created oil, she provided a mighty fine lubricant for automobile motors. 
But doesn't it stand to reason that in this modern day and age, a lubricant scientifically developed to protect motors should be even better? That's why more and more drivers are switching to Signal Premium Compounded Motor Oil. Naturally, this improved type Signal Oil starts off with nature's finest lubricant, 100% pure paraffin base. But in addition, Signal Premium Oil contains scientific new compounds that do specific jobs which oil alone cannot do. For instance, one compound in Signal Premium keeps your motor clean, free of carbon, gum, and varnish. Another compound in Signal Premium oil prevents bearing corrosion. And still other compounds help in other ways to keep your motor young. No wonder Signal Premium oil makes motors sing. So for the good of your car and your pocketbook, make your next oil change a change to the improved type Signal oil that does so much more than just lubricate. Signal Premium Compounded Motor Oil. It's over, isn't it, Jim? For what seems like hours you stare at the lifeless body of Dr. Bauman, dazed by what you've done. The one man who could strip the mask from your face. The only man who could reveal your true identity is dead. And so are you as Jim Kinsella. You've a new life before you now as Ted Brewster, with money, position, a wealthy aunt, and Judy, the girl who had promised to marry you. And now with one last look at Dr. Bowman, confident you're in the clear, you turn and start for the door. And then as you open it... Hello. What is it? Homicide. We're looking for Dr. Bauman. Bauman? This is his apartment. Well, I, I'm sorry. He isn't in. Oh, isn't he? Well, that's too bad. We wanted to talk to him about an explosion. What? What? Yeah, in a chemical laboratory. I know the doctor quite well. Could, could I help you? Can't you tell me what it's all about? The Mexican police ask us to check it for them. A few days back, a woman confessed that she persuaded Bauman to do a nasty little job for her a couple of months ago. A woman? Mm-hmm. Bauman's girlfriend. Seems she was tired of her husband, wanted him out of the way so she could marry Bauman. And last week, Bauman ran out on her. She got sore and tipped off the police. Tipped off the police? Yeah, to the explosion. And that Bauman was responsible for it. I guess she was just like a lot of other scorned women. Apparently, Mrs. Kinsella and the Mrs. doctor... Kinsella? That's right. Bauman's girlfriend, Mrs. Jim Kinsella. Now, look, friend, we're coming in. No, I told you Bauman wasn't in. We know he is. We saw him come in. Now, come on, out of the way. We want a murderer, and we're going to get him. Yeah. Yeah, I guess you are. That whistle be your signal for the Signal Oil program, The Whistler, each Sunday night at this same time. Brought to you by the Signal Oil Company, marketers of Signal gasoline and motor oil and fine quality automotive accessories. Signal has asked me to remind you to get the most driving pleasure, drive at sensible speed, be courteous, and obey traffic regulations. It may save a life, possibly your own. Featured in tonight's story were Jeff Chandler, Francis Robinson, and Paul McVeigh. The Whistler was produced and directed by George W. Allen, based on a story by Richard Creedon, with music by Wilbur Hatch, and was transmitted to our troops overseas by the Armed Forces Radio Service. The Whistler is entirely fictional, and all characters portrayed on The Whistler are also fictional. Any similarity of names or resemblance to persons, living or dead, is purely coincidental. Remember at the same time next Sunday, another strange tale by The Whistler. Marvin Miller speaking. 
This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Hello, this is Clyde J.K.L. I miss you playing that radio, and you know that song is so true. Yes, money does make the world go around. And I'm asking for some help now so I can continue broadcasting these outstanding old-time radio shows to you. Please send a monetary donation via PayPal. That's cjkl at sign mystery-otr.com. That's cjkl at sign mystery-otr.com. Any amount will be helpful. Or you can visit the website and just click on the donation button. Thank you so much for listening to Mystery Play Internet Radio. Signal Oil Program, The Whistler. That whistle is your signal for the Signal Oil Program, The Whistler. And I know many things, for I walk by night. I know many strange tales, hidden in the hearts of men and women who have stepped into the shadows. Yes, I know the nameless terrors of which they dare not speak. Yes, friends, it's time for the Signal Oil program, The Whistler. Rated by Independent Research, the most popular West Coast program in radio history. In gasoline, you know, it takes extra quality to give you extra mileage. And Signal is the famous go-farther gasoline. So look for the Signal circle sign in yellow and black that identifies friendly dealer-owned Signal service stations from Canada to Mexico. And now the Whistler's strange story, The Black Book. Paul had looked forward to the opening night in Philadelphia for months. And if anything, it had exceeded his brightest hope. In a way, it was a reward for the four long years of struggle since he'd come to Cecil Wenham's Ballet Arts Company as an unknown dancer from London. Yes, Philadelphia was a wonderful opening, with five curtain calls for him alone after Sector of the Road. He knew he had America in the palm of his hand now, that the morning papers would hail him as a star, that he was no longer a promising newcomer, but a great dancer. Though it was ironic on that night in Philadelphia, with the applause still ringing in his ears, that Cecil Wenham should come into Paul's room and shatter his dream into a thousand bits. Paul, hello, Cecil. Paul, I've done it. I've signed her up. You'd better tell me tomorrow I'm dining with some friends. A three-year contract, exclusive, with options on two more. Look, Cecil. Now, I want you to meet her, Paul. She's up in my office now. All right. Who is it, Cecil? Of course, I couldn't tell you her name until now, but... Paul, we've got the greatest choreographer and ballet mistress in the business. I had a hard time persuading her to leave London. Wait a minute. London? Oh, she's been topped over there for years. Who is it, Cecil? Tell me. Catherine Valadon. Catherine Valadon. You... You hired Valadon. You, you know her? But she doesn't die. Well, I'm buying her head, not her feet. She'll direct the company for us. She'd, 
He's out there now? Yes. Come on, I, I said want... I was late, Cecil. Oh, come on. Did you oh. hear me? I'm late. I don't want to talk to anybody. Now, please, leave me alone. Yes, it's ironic, isn't it, Paul? This night of triumph, the great performance, the resounding applause suddenly becomes meaningless. And there's a heavy feeling of defeat inside you as you sink into the sofa in your dressing room, alone now. You sit there, thinking, half hearing the music of the finale, and in your mind it seems to change slowly and strangely into another melody on a rehearsal piano four years ago in a London theater. A couple moves down stage center. The young man steps to one side as the woman comes to a point in front of him. The man is you, Paul, and the woman, Catherine Balladon. What's the matter now? You are supposed to lift me at the pattern. I know it. Then why did you stand there like an oaf? You are at least two beats behind me. I was following the music. That's more than I can say for you. No! Oh, wait a moment now. Quarling won't get us anywhere. What's the trouble, Catherine? I am waiting for Paul to decide to become a dancer. Perhaps you can convince him, Mr. Brady. I am ready to give up. I'll be in my dressing room if you need me. What's the idea, Paul? She's always waiting for me to slip out. So she can pounce You had no right to talk to her like that. The timing was off and you know it. No wonder it's off. I told you I can't dance with her. She's a, she's a machine, not a woman. Listen to me, Paul. I'm not going to let that phony artistic temperament of yours upset this company. You're going to her dressing room right now and apologize to her. I'll do nothing of the kind. You'll do it or leave the company. Look, lady, that's pretty unreasonable of you. I'm dealing with an unreasonable man. Going to do as I say? Very well, Brady. Well, Paul? I've come to tell you that I'm sorry. How sweet of you. You can write that in your little black book, too. At exactly 3.15 and a half, on the afternoon of October 18th, Paul Cartmell came into your dressing room and apologized humbly. Did you come here to insult me again? To be a charming woman if you weren't such a machine. Everything so... so prompt, precise, exact. It's my profession. It's your life. You're not human, Catherine. Suppose you forget about me and concentrate on your own shortcomings. All right. All right, I'm sorry. Is he going on with the rehearsal? Of course. All right. Let's try it again. And this time, keep your mind on your work. Yes, it's coming back to you, isn't it, Paul? How you walk back on the stage with her, humiliated, raging inside, trying to ignore the embarrassed faces of the rest of the cast. The pianist picked up your cue, and the two of you moved together. She was poised before you on the point. And as you moved in to lift her, a single idea took hold of you. Yes, there's a traditional hazard in the ballet, Paul. A dancer, dropped hard on a pointed toe, will never dance again. You lift her above you, higher and higher. Then in a blind rage, you relax your hold. How is she, Doctor? I can't say yet. We're waiting for the x-rays. Is it... Uh, is it all right for me to go in? Oh, of course. Her friends are in there with her. Thank you. You're being a wonderful sport about it all, Captain. Why not? You don't think a little thing like a bruised toe... Oh. Hello, Captain. Paul, oh, what a lovely bouquet. I, uh, I hope you like them. I love them, darling. It's so thoughtful of you. Uh, Captain, I... Uh, I want to tell you how awful I feel. I... I don't know what happened. Oh, I... oh, not another word now. Oh, it was an accident, Paul. Of course it was. Happens in the best of companies. And they've all told me I'll be as good as ever in a week or so. Now, uh, run along, you two. I want to talk to Paul. <laughs> sure enough. Keep it up, old girl. Goodbye, Kathy. Goodbye. See you tomorrow at one. Uh, one thirty, dear. Visiting hours, you know. Oh, good. 
Put me in the black book, darling. I'm so glad you're taking it this way, Captain. I felt like such a heel. That's just it. You are a heel. What do you mean? Do you think I'm stupid, Paul? Do you think I'm blind? Accident. Everyone's talking about my unfortunate accident. Now, just a minute. You did not slip, Paul. I felt you let me go deliberately. And don't think I've swallowed that sugar-coated nonsense about coming out of it as good as ever. I'm through as a dancer. And I know it. Do you know what it's like to be through, Paul? Do you know how it feels to lie in a hospital bed with everything behind you? And nothing ahead? Well, you're going to know, Paul. I'm going to show you. If it takes the rest of my life! And that's what brought you to America, Paul. You never admitted it, even to yourself. Told yourself it was the war. Gave yourself a thousand other reasons. But at the bottom of it was fear. Of a little black-eyed ballerina you knew would kill you if everything else failed her. Yes, Paul. Catherine Valadon has caught up with you at last. In spite of the new name, Paul Cooper, the new country, the new career. And as you lean back on the sofa in your dressing room, you know that here in Philadelphia, in a single evening, you've won and you've lost. Paul? Yes, Cecil. Mademoiselle Valadon, may I present our star, Paul Cooper? Don't get up. I didn't intend to. Why, not Paul? Don't let it bother you, Mr. Venom. Paul and I are old friends. We've been through a lot together in London. Haven't we, Paul? In those days, it was Paul Cartmel, though. For heaven's sake, Catherine. He's always this way when he's tired, Mr. Venom. Well, I'd better run along. You can call the rehearsal tomorrow morning at nine sharp. Please see that no one is late. Well, uh, taking over tomorrow, eh? Yes, Mr. Venom. I'm taking over tomorrow. prologue of The Black Book, the Signal Oil Company brings you another strange story by The Whistler. But now a timely tip for you drivers. The hot summer months ahead put an extra strain on a car's cooling system, often causing motors to overheat. That's why it's a good idea to have your signal dealer inspect your radiator now. As cars grow older, radiators often become choked with rust and sludge. To take care of this, signal dealers have special rust and sludge dissolving compounds that restores the radiator's cooling efficiency but can't harm the metal. If your radiator has any small leaks, your signal dealer has radiator sealer that stops them in a jiffy. And in any case, even with new cars, it's wise to add rust preventative that protects both radiator and motor from future corrosion. You see, signal service stations are much more than places to buy Signal's famous go-farther gasoline and Signal premium motor oil. Wherever you see Signal circle sign in yellow and black, there you'll also find complete, conscientious Signal service to help your car run better, look better, and last longer. And now back to the whistler. So it all came to a climax in Philadelphia, Paul, with a ballet performance of Spectre of the Rose that made all the years of struggle worthwhile. And it's strange somehow that on your night of triumph, a woman named Catherine Valadon should walk out of your past and threaten to destroy it all. You're positive there's only one reason why she came to the company as choreographer, the reason she gave you in that London hospital room four years ago. Know how it feels to lie in bed with everything behind you and nothing ahead. Well, you're going to know, Paul. I'm going to show you if it takes the rest of my life. By morning, you know there's only one answer. You've got to make Wenham change his mind. I tell you, it won't work, Cecil. 
As a fellow done goes, that I do. What's happening to you, Paul? Catherine's doing such a fine job. Now, I want you to pull yourself together and start dancing. I refuse to go on tour under these conditions. Oh? Must I remind you of your contract? I don't care. Well, you'd better care. If it's violated, you'll never dance again. Never dance again. That's what she said. What? Listen, Wenham. You don't know her. She's not just trying to drive me out of the company. It's more than that. She'll stop at nothing. I don't understand you, Paul. What? I can't tell you anymore. But you've got to make a choice right now, Cecil. Valadon or me. I want you both for the good of the company. However, if you force me, well, you're big, but you can be replaced. All right. All right, replace me. There are other companies. Oh, you're talking nonsense. Furthermore, your contract is not for sale. I can hold you for two years, even if I put you to work shifting scenery. You don't even have to dance, you know. You better run along now. Valadon's waiting for you at rehearsal. It's no use, Paul. You're back in the old routine. Under Catherine's thumb again. Just like four years ago in London. Only she's worse now, isn't she? Much worse. Because she's doing it all for a purpose. Yes, and she doesn't let up for an instant. Well, our prima donna has finally decided to attend the rehearsal. I'm, uh, I'm sorry I'm late. I, I wasn't sure what time to the call was. The schedule is on the board. Yesterday, Parisian, 10.30 a.m. sharp. Can I be clearer than that? Is the world going to fall apart if I'm two minutes late? A real artist takes pride in precision. I prefer to save it for the dance. An excellent idea. You'll need it in the new specialty I'm preparing. What are you talking about? I'm working on the choreography now. It's a part de deux, especially for you, Paul. I want to have it ready by the time we go on tour. You're frantic now, not knowing what's in the back of her mind. And during the days that follow, you wonder about the special dance she's preparing. What she meant when she said it was especially for you. It becomes clear the afternoon she introduces you to Eric Ballard, a big, hulking man who'd look more at home in the wrestling ring than on a ballet stage. I meant to tell you more about Eric, Paul. He'd be an excellent supporting partner for you. Partner? Yes, in the new ballet I'm creating. Uh, Mr. Benham thinks it's very original. Actually, it's based on something we used to do in London. You and I. Captain, what are you trying you to do? You remember, Paul? The one we were rehearsing the day you slipped? <laughs> I've rearranged it entirely. Eric here takes your place. You take mine. I take your place. It sounds like an exciting number to me, Mr. Cooper. Eric, why don't you go get Mr. Benham? We'll run through it for him. Sure thing, Miss Valadon. Be right back. Captain, what is this? Why did you hire that hulking fool of... Please, Paul. He's sweet to his friends. And devoted, too. I suppose he'd do anything you tell him. Perhaps. But you needn't worry about the dance. He is very strong, Paul. Well, I won't do it, Captain. If you think I'll fall for this crude attempt at revenge, you... Revenge? That's the most you'll ever admit it. I, well, I, I don't Perhaps mean... Perhaps I should recall that little London incident to the trade papers. Let them know that their celebrated Paul Cooper is actually the Paul Cartnell who deliberately dropped a great ballerina and made certain... But Catherine Valadon would never dance again. Catherine, that's all forgotten. You wouldn't make any sense. You'll rehearse this number with Eric. And it's ready for the time when we want to add some variety to the program. Whatever you say, Catherine. Good. You should enjoy it, Paul. As Eric said, it will be very exciting. <laughs> The tour that follows is a nightmare with each new city a threat. You've rehearsed the new ballet with Eric, and all but the spectacular bit which is to be performed on a high platform. And you never know when Catherine will decide that the time is right for her revenge. He knows you're afraid, Paul. That's all part of it, keeping you in suspense this way. From Philadelphia, the company goes to Cincinnati, then St. Louis, Chicago, and on west to Denver. You expect the crisis there, but it doesn't happen. Finally, in the last night in Denver, when there's only San Francisco left ahead, 
you decide you can't stand it any longer, that you must face Catherine and have it out. As you approach your dressing room, you hear her talking to someone. You step back out of sight as the door opens. While you are, packing. are we going on ahead of the rest of the company, Miss Saladon? Yes. I have to make extra arrangements. The uh, thing we discussed, Eric, is coming off in San Francisco. Well, I've been wondering if you changed your mind. Not slightly. You start after them, Paul, and then stop, confused, wondering. Through the open door of Catherine's dressing room, you catch sight of a notebook on a dressing table. The famous black book. It contains every move she makes, every decision, every appointment. You hurry over to it, thumb through the pages before she comes back. It's all there, Paul. The hotel on Knob Hill where Catherine will be staying. Her room number, the business meetings, a list of appointments. The last one with Eric, to end promptly at 11 tomorrow night. Then at the top of the next page, the thing you're looking for, final rehearsal. Cooper's specialty, Monday, 9 a.m. There's no question now, Paul. She's made up her mind. You're going to have an accident. Monday. Do you know how it feels to be through with a dancer? You're going to know, Paul. I'm going to show you. If it takes the rest of my life. There's still an alternative, of course. You can let Catherine end your career or meet her on her own ground. By the time she's left on the train, you still haven't decided. It's the only thing on your mind as you stand in line at the railroad terminal, waiting to pick up your reservation. There's a worried little man ahead of you. Listen, I've simply got to get space on that San Francisco train. I can give you an upper on the next one. But it won't do. It won't do at all. You see, I'm meeting the steamer there. The Silver Star sailing for Shanghai. The next train will miss it. I'm awfully sorry, sir. Perhaps if you wait around, there'll be a cancellation. Oh, I see. Thank you. It comes to you at that moment, Paul. This is perfect. This train you'd planned to take ahead of the rest of the company. The frantic little man desperate for a ticket on his way out of the country. You pick up your reservation. Walk over to the stranger pacing anxiously in the corner of the station lobby. Excuse me. You wanted to go to San Francisco. Tonight? Yes, I simply got to get on that train. So I heard. I, uh... I have a ticket here. I want somebody to you. Oh? I'm a, I'm a traveling man, you see, and, uh, well, I, I, I want my boss to think that I'm on that train. Oh, but there's nothing to it. All you have to do is travel in my name. Uh, Paul Cooper. What about it? Uh, Cooper, huh? Mister, for a place on that train, I travel as Mickey Mouse. Oh, fine. Then it's a deal. Mr. Cooper. time is your next flight for San Francisco? Oh, we have space available on our five o'clock flight tomorrow. Not till then? I could do almost as well by leaving by train tonight. Not quite, sir. Our plane arrives in San Francisco tomorrow night at 11. The train leaving tonight doesn't reach San Francisco until uh, a half hour after midnight, 12.30. So you save at least an hour and a half. Well, I, I guess I can use an hour and a half extra sleep as well as anybody. Uh, send the ticket over to the Denver Hotel, please. I'll leave the money at the desk. The name is, um, uh, Jackson. An hour and a half, Paul. That's how much time you'll have. But it's enough. For you're on a schedule now, too. As exact a schedule as the one in Catherine's little black book. You stay overnight at the Denver Hotel under the name of Jackson. Then pick up your plane ticket. The next afternoon at five, you're taking off for San Francisco. It's a swift flight, uneventful. And half an hour after landing at Mills Field, you're stepping out of the elevator on the top floor of Catherine's Hotel. You wait until the elevator starts down and then hurry to the stairs. Catherine's room is actually two floors below. You glance at your watch as you knock softly on her door. 11.35. And the black book told you her appointment with Eric was to end promptly at 11. You can depend on that, Paul. Just a minute. 
doing here at this time of night? I thought you were on the train. I am on the train, Captain. What's the matter with you? Have you been drinking? No, Captain. What's this all about? Why have you come here? To see you. What about? Your unfinished business, Captain. I don't want to discuss that now. Please, go, Paul. No more discussions, eh, Captain? The appointments for the day over. Complete. There'll be no interruptions. What are you... Paul! Come here, Captain. Oh, no, not the telephone. Let go of me. Paul! I'll let go, Captain, just as I did once before. But first... No, Miss Paul! As she falls to the floor, you put the heavy brass candlestick back on the table, cross quickly to the French doors leading onto the balcony and open them wide. A moment later, you stand near the railing, high over the glittering city, Catherine's body in your arms. The little black book will tell them she was all alone. Won't it, Paul? No more appointment. The body hurtling to the street will establish the moment of her death beyond any doubt, and you can slip quietly down to the station. Just in time to make an appearance when the train arrives. You lift her high up on the railing, and then... Cooper, what are you... Hey, let go of her. Put her down. Get away from me. Leave me alone. Okay, Cooper. Okay. What the devil was he trying to... Good Lord. She's dead. How did he ever expect to get away with it? Operator, get me the police. The Whistler will return in just a moment with a strange ending to tonight's story. Right now, however, I'd like to clear up another mystery that baffles a good many drivers. There are many brands of gasoline on the market. Some are naturally better than others. But how can you measure the quality of gasoline? Well, there's one very simple way, if you'll just keep this in mind. To give you superior performance, quicker starting, faster pickup, and smoother knock-free power, a gasoline must help your motor run more efficiently. Now, when your motor runs more efficiently, you naturally get better mileage. And mileage is something you can measure with your speedometer. That's why Signal says your speedometer is your best yardstick of gasoline quality. Check yours and you'll find it's true. In gasoline, it takes extra quality to go farther. And remember, Signal is the famous go-farther gasoline. And now, back to the whistler. The last you remember, Paul, is the smashing blow of Eric's fist there in Catherine Balladon's hotel room on the 12th floor. Everything's quiet now. No tension. No fear. Just soft, warm blackness. No, Paul, it doesn't seem to matter now that you killed Catherine Balladon because she forced you to choose between murder and a brilliant career. And it doesn't matter either that on this night, for the first time in all the years you've known her, she failed to follow the schedule in the little black book to the minute. You open your eyes, blinking into the glare of a white light at police headquarters. Eric Ballard is talking to a quiet-faced man in plain clothes. At first, I couldn't see how he expected to get away with it. The door unlocked and everything. I got up there and walked right in. I found him about to drop the body over the balcony rail to the street. Yeah, trying to make it look like a suicide, huh? What were you doing there, Ballard? I was keeping an appointment I had with her. You were a little late for that appointment, weren't you, Eric? Yeah. My boy's back with us. That's what did it, you know, Eric. For the first time in Catherine's life, she didn't go by the book. What's he talking about? The notebook Miss Valadon kept her appointments in. She changed the appointment, didn't she, Eric? She changed it. You knew her better than that. That book was a religion with her. She lived by it. Don't tell me she lived by it. I saw that book back in Denver. Your appointment with her was to end at 11. That's where you slipped up, Cooper. No. No, I didn't slip up. I was too careful. I tell you, I saw it. That's not what I'm talking about. What do you mean? Take a look at your watch, Cooper. My watch? Yeah. 
You forgot to set it back. You see, Cooper, you're still on Mountain Standard Time. Let that whistle be your signal for the signal oil program, The Whistler. Each Monday at 8. Brought to you by the Signal Oil Company, marketers of signal gasoline and motor oil and fine quality automotive accessories. Signal has asked me to remind you to get the most driving pleasure, drive at sensible speed, be courteous, and obey traffic regulations. It may save a life, possibly your own. Featured in tonight's story were Jeanette Nolan and David Ellis. The Whistler was produced by George W. Allen with music by Wilbur Hatch, story by William Engvik, and was transmitted to our troops overseas by the Armed Forces Radio Service. This is Marvin Miller speaking for the Signal Oil Company. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.